Specialty Story, session number 77. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. It's been a little while since I've been here, and I want you to help me with that. I am always looking for more guests, physicians who are available to record on Mondays. I changed my schedule recently, and I'm doing all my podcast recording on Mondays during the day. So find some people that I can interview, some physicians who I can interview who are out of training, out of residency, out of fellowship, who are out practicing, and pass them along to me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I have a great guest for you today, Dr. Jenini Krishnaswamy, who is a preventive medicine physician down at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, on the border there with Texas and Mexico. And we're going to chat all about preventive medicine. And we start by talking about what initially got her interested in preventive medicine. You know, I think a lot of preventive medicine physicians, we end up kind of stumbling into the specialty. uh, And I was not an exception, but I've always come in. I I was a relatively non-traditional student. When I entered medical school, I had had a stint in investment banking. My background was in economics public health, I mean, public policy and international studies. And I was always really interested in the systems level aspect of medicine, Um, especially when I started doing my third year clerkship. I sort of saw that same patterns. I perceived these patterns with patients who were coming into the clinic or into the hospital with these um, conditions that didn't ever really seem to be cured. Uh, but And it was sort of these patterns of who got the illnesses and who suffered the most. And I was really interested in, in sort of attacking that angle Um, and I found out about preventive medicine as I was sitting there kind of pouring through different programs. And I saw that a program, um, this was in third year. I saw that a program offered an internal medicine, preventive medicine track. And that seemed perfect to me because I I loved interacting with patients, but there was that important systems element that, um, that I really craved. And so that's how I kind of found out about this field. And as soon as I found out about that program, I did my research. I went to the American College of Preventive Medicine website and, kind of just hunted around to to find out more about this specialty. And I just was so amazed. It felt like I had found um, a diamond in the rough, as it were. And um, because the more I learned about it, the more excited I was, because this was exactly um, how I had envisioned practicing medicine. Why don't you think more people, more students who are interested, uh, obviously, in becoming physicians, both from a a pre-med standpoint and as medical students, why is preventive medicine so hidden? Yeah, it's really an interesting question because, you know, we kind of, I have sat on admissions committees for various schools and I read these starry eyed essays for medical students, would be medical students. I really want to help people. I want to change the world. I want to do these things. And of course, we all know that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound (laughs) of cure. Yet, you know, in my opinion, I think we all, and this is, you'll see this even at a national level. We talk about prevention. We all know the benefits of it, but at an actual practice level, we just don't have those opportunities. And in my mind, it comes down to the financial incentives. And, um, you know, it's a longer story than I probably have time to share here, but the way that residency programs are funded 
and the way that um, residents are paid and hospitals are paid to have residents, it's tied to a certain type of funding, Medicare funding that comes from CMS. And the short version of the long story is hospitals are paid to have residents in hospitals and not really in the community settings, not really doing prevention. And I think that's a huge part of the problem. We're just, our incentives are misaligned with our um, verbiage about prevention. Uh, And I think if we had more um, aligned incentives, you would see preventive medicine really taking shape as one of the most uh, foundational disciplines in medical school itself. Yeah. And can can we, before we go any further, I want to, for for one final time, lay it to rest, preventive and not preventative. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> so glad that you mentioned that. <laughs> I can't like nails on a chalkboard. I can't tell you. I, I It's preventive. Thank you for <laughs> um, for emphasizing that point. Um, yes, absolutely. Preventive and not preventative. Uh, but I, I actually have, even in my own hospital here, have had a misspelled name badge. So I have fought that battle um, many yeah. a time. It's it's funny. <laughs> I put it out there every once in a while and the students are like, well, our language kind of defines um, how things are spelled these days. And so because preventative is used so much, then it, yeah. it's, it's correct too. I'm like, yeah, no, it's not. I, I just, I'm not going there. <laughs> um, so yeah, the discipline is preventive. <laughs> yes. The discipline specifically is preventive. If you want to talk about preventative care or some other way, then sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. What traits do you think lead to being a good preventive medicine physician? Well, I think definitely somebody who is a systems thinker. You have to be comfortable switching between the big picture population health and the individual patient. There is a little bit of tension between the two, um, and we'll often see that reflected in news articles that kind of talk about, you know, it's really great to get breast cancer screening, um, you know, maybe move that age a little later, and yet there's sort of public outcry, well, you know, I don't want the population to outweigh my interests. And I think there's an interesting, you know, it takes an interesting perspective, interesting sort of um, approach to be able to navigate that um, that dichotomy. And I, so I think the, an ideal preventive medicine physician is comfortable switching back and forth between those. I also think you have to be very enterprising and um, proactive. In preventive medicine, the path is not always clear cut, especially if you want to do some combination of clinical medicine, public health, and, and sort of tie those worlds together. Um, systems change is very difficult, and I think it takes somebody with with um, perseverance and willingness to see opportunities where things have always been done sort of the same way. Um, so I, I definitely think you need to be somewhat of an early adopter. There's not a lot of preventive medicine physicians out there. My belief and the reason I'm kind of in this field where I am starting in this residency program is because I really do believe it's something that will be a discipline foundational in the future, but we're not there yet. And so it really takes, I think, somebody who has that vision, perseverance, and of course, passion, um, you know, for the, for the field and its, and its components. While you were going through your training in medical school uh, and, and residency, were there any other specialties or subspecialties that almost pulled you towards their their light? Yes. Um, so I, and it's really interesting for me because I was just referring to sort of population health versus the individual patient. And for me, I love interacting with the individual patient. So family medicine, internal medicine called out to me, um, you know, all those you know, bread and butter primary care specialties. I, I just thrived on the idea of 
wanting to connect with people. You know, we, we have this evidence now that um, we've always known that the way a doctor sort of prescribes treatment and the way a doctor communicates is um, integral to the health and, and improvement of a patient. And so I was really fascinated by that aspect. So I was pulled toward primary care. But in the end, um, I love, but why I really wanted to spend that extra year doing preventive medicine was because I knew I couldn't sort of change systems one patient at a time. I also needed to look at the big picture, apply my skills in systems-based thinking, um, in what has been called upstream medicine, uh, to really make a difference, which is what I really wanted to do, um, especially as it related to underserved minorities, um, health disparities, which are one of the largest in the developed world. And it, to me, the idea that somebody should be living years less on average of their lives and, or poor quality lives, you know, as a function of their race or their income status, I, I really was so troubled that that's sort of what kept me going with the preventive world and made me want to do both aspects. So most physicians go to work. Let's, let's talk about a, a, a internist. We'll go to work and see patients treating hypertension and diabetes and cholesterol and everything else. What sorts of patients are you seeing on a day in and day out basis? Well, you know, so the patients that I see are, um, and it's interesting for me, it might not be and this is, I will back up to state with preventive medicine. It's like, you can talk to 10 different preventive medicine physicians and they're all kind of doing slightly different things. So I can speak to my experience, um, where I work with a primarily indigent underserved community, highly diverse community. And I, and that was by design. Um, my background and interest is in health equity and community engagement. And what we know in those fields is that the communities that are often helped or the populations that are often helped by preventive efforts, whether it be um, campaigns on eating healthier or smoking, um, anti-smoking campaigns, they actually tend on average to be those at relatively lower risk for disease. And of course, the people that are at higher risk for disease are often missed, they often miss the benefits of these types of preventive efforts. So what tends to happen, even though these efforts are well-intentioned and well-designed, is that you actually can widen potentially the gap between um, uh, the health disparities between rich and poor or the different socioeconomic classes. So as a result, you know, my intention was to come to an area with tremendous medical need, which is the border communities of uh, Texas and Mexico. And so the patients that I see here um, primarily fall into that class. And the sort of theory of who tends to bear the burden of chronic disease, that it is on average um, underserved minorities, that totally bears out in this region. We have epidemic rates of diabetes, obesity, um, very preventable conditions, and not just incidents and prevalence, but also severity of these conditions. So my patients on average, you know, um, kind of fall into those categories. And I do a lot of work trying to create systems to better address the social determinants of health um, and promote uh, health behaviors that are conducive to prevention and optimizing quality of life. What does a, a typical day look like for you? 
Well, in my role, I am a program director and uh, of the Preventive Medicine Residency Program. I came here and I sort of set up the program, sort of established the curriculum, worked with different stakeholders to to develop it. So, in that vein, a lot of my time is built is uh, dedicated to refining the curriculum, making sure that we're meeting our ultimate goals of promoting health equity, health literacy. Um, so a lot of it is is really the building the programs and network, designing optimal educational initiatives for my residents, um, leading didactic sessions, um, not just for my residents, but community members, other faculty doing a lot of education. I see patients in the clinic um, where I, as I mentioned, work uh, with lifestyle medicine and, and addressing chronic disease determinants. So my, my days tend to be a mix of administrative, patient care, um, and general strategic thinking, teamwork, team meetings, a lot of meetings, <laughs> and um, probably a lot of education. I would, I would throw that in the mix. I will also add that as an academic physician, I work closely with medical students, um, my work with prevention has, has led me to the medical school where I am a director of student wellness. And so I, I inculcate the, uh, you know, the principles of preventive medicine, spread awareness of this field at the School of Medicine as well. So it's, it's a pretty diverse uh, work week, I would say. Yeah. A lot of different elements. Lots, lots of different hats for you. Yeah. For, for you, or I guess in general for PrevMed, you are in an academic setting. Are there a lot of community-based PrevMed docs? And if so, why did you choose academics over the community? Yes. You know, I like to describe our residency as being a flipped version of the traditional hospital-based residency. Typically, um, most hospital-based residencies, which is, you know, all the primary care fields, despite being primary care, Residents tend to spend, oh, about 80 to 90 percent of their time in the hospital, maybe 10 to 20 percent of their time in a clinical setting, um, in a clinic or community setting, meaning outpatient or community clinics. Our residency is is flipped on that. So we're 80 percent in the community, maybe 20 percent in a hospital um, type of tertiary care setting. So to answer your question, I think uh, what preventive medicine physicians do is intimately connected to the community. I would wager that uh, a majority of preventive medicine physicians are doing some type of work in a community setting. Um, there's obviously, uh, and that's a sort of a different question in terms of the, the different branches of preventive medicine, but a, a very traditional general preventive medicine job and career pathway is working at public health and county, county and state health departments. Um, these are sort of jobs where one does surveillance of entire populations and communities at a local district, county, or state level. And this is a very you know, sort of important job to kind of understand how is the health of my community improving, changing at this sort of population health level. So that's sort of how preventive medicine physicians practice in a community setting. They would actually be concerned with the health of the community in these in these settings. Academic medicine, um, I would say the major role for preventive medicine there is as program directors, as preventive medicine faculty in preventive medicine residency programs. Um, so that's sort of the the other, and that's sort of the main academic hat. And then the other sort of hat I would say for general preventive medicine is um, you know working in hospital systems as health administrators or in quality improvement, data analysis, data management. We're sort of experts in data. 
uh, analysis, statistical analysis, journals, research, and all of those. So a lot of preventive medicine physicians I know are are, are operating um, uh, sort of sizable research initiatives, grants, um, and that kind of thing. So those are the kind of three major directions for a general preventive medicine physician. A lot of what you're talking about sounds like to to a layperson or maybe a pre-med or an early medical student who doesn't know a lot yet about these fields. Uh, it sounds like a lot of what you're describing is is epidemiology. What what does having an MD or a DO and and going through pre-med training what does that add on top of just being an epidemiologist to study all of these trends? Oh yeah, that and that's a great question. So the major asset that an MD will add to your training is the ability to actually understand the clinical system, um, have that perspective of caring for patients and having that option to care for patients. So as an example, one of the the regional um, director of our uh, Texas Region 11, she's the uh, regional medical director, a preventive medicine board certified MD, MPH, um, routinely will get cases of people experiencing complex tuberculosis. And as a physician, she can write their management plan. She knows which medications to use. She can prescribe those medications. She can mandate directly observed therapy. But at the same time, as an epidemiologist, she's able to understand how that case fits into the general um, sort of patterns of TB prevalence outbreaks in the community. So it's it's a really great asset in that you can also care for patients. You can understand, um, you know, sort of the symptomology, the um, complications of, of things like foodborne illness, as well as understand sort of the big picture population health dynamics of those conditions. Does being a PrevMed doc involve taking a lot of call? No, not at all. I mean, the the one situation that is um, is a possibility for preventive medicine, especially um, there's a branch, there's a common career pathway that uh, general preventive medicine physicians choose that is working in the Centers for Disease Control as an epidemic intelligence officer. And it sounds really that's um, cool. Sounds yeah, awesome. it sounds really pretty cool. <laughs> there was actually a movie made about it. I think it was Kate Winslet. I think it's called. I can't remember. The name of contagion, maybe, but anyway, yeah. it was about a, and 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 so they're actually intelligence officers for public health, and so if there's an outbreak, and this is global as well, so if there's an outbreak of you know and an, an illness, and you need to figure out where did it start from, like you know we read reports about salmonella poisoning and something. I mean that was Ebola. typically done by yeah. <laughs> Ebola, right? And uh, you know even in the even domestically having contaminated produce or whatnot. That is usually the work of a CDC EIS officer finding and discovering it takes a lot of interviewing. And mm. so that's the situation where you, to, to answer your question, where you might be on call, because if something's happening, then you're deployed to that site. But that is a pretty specific, um, you know, that's obviously a specific career path and a specific employment. I will say that public health officers, uh, especially if you're working county, state or federal government, you know, natural disasters is another kind of big thing for preventive medicine. We have a lot of training in emergency preparedness. So if there is a natural disaster, and obviously if you happen to be somebody skilled in that area, um, you may well be called down to that site. For example, in Houston, when we had our um, hurricane, our regional director was deployed down there to to help and assist and, and understand sort of the health impact of that crisis. Interesting. There was a, a really good... 
uh, Planet Money podcast episode all about the um, was it E. coli outbreak with the romaine lettuce last year. Um, uh-huh. So if if this talk interests uh, interests you listening, then go listen to that. It's episode eight sixty one called the Food Food Scare Squad. Uh, they talked all about how how that investigation goes down and how they figure everything out. It's really fun. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's a beloved class for our residents is um, uh, disease detectives where they kind of simulate outbreaks and they sort of figure out where they start in. It's a very systematic and interesting process. So, yeah. yeah. And my, my role in the Air Force as a flight surgeon, I got to do some... Uh, I was a public health emergency officer, and we had to to study all this stuff. So they sent me to San Antonio, and they give you these scenarios of of people showing up uh, to the ER with these similar patterns of of illness, and you have to figure out where they all were and everything going on. It's like, oh, it's 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 really cool if you like that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. What what is it? Um, the the training path to become a preventive medicine physician, what does that look like? Yeah, and that's an important question. So um, you can go into preventive medicine as a pure PM physician. And um, what that requires is at least one year of an ACGME accredited re- residency. It could be a transitional year, um, a prelim year, and then you would then matriculate into a preventive medicine residency program. That path has its pros and cons. Obviously, the pro being it's a two-year residency. Preventive medicine is a two-year residency. And so the entire kind of training is completed in three years. And I think for somebody who doesn't really want to have clinical practice as their backbone, that could be a good option. Um, you know, if you want to see yourself, if you see yourself as a primarily clinician, uh, clinical practice, then um, another way to go into preventive medicine is as a uh, second residency or a fellowship or a combined program, which is what I did. And so uh, there are programs out there. Um, Dartmouth has a leadership preventive medicine track. Um, there's other ones. I believe Yale also has one. So you can finish a residency, like it could be any residency, and then do a preventive medicine um, fellowship or residency on top of that. Uh, And then the combined programs, there's a handful across the country, family medicine, pediatrics, and preventive medicine, internal medicine, um, one of those three combined with uh, preventive medicine. And so those are kind of the traditional sort of pathways for prevention. And it, it kind of really picking the right one depends on what you sort of want to do with your training after you graduate. So that's that's the question. For for somebody who doesn't know anything about preventive medicine, how are they supposed to figure out what they want after training to know which of those to pick? Yeah. And so for me, the answer to that question would be if you see yourself doing, you know, more than 20 percent clinic a week. So more than like two half days of clinic. And that's like, if you are somebody who enjoys interacting with patients, who likes that clinical angle, who likes that one-on-one care, uh, I would probably recommend that you do additional training beyond just a transitional year. I'm not saying it's impossible to do that type of care. um, If you do the traditional one-year transitional and two years preventive medicine, but I think your 
ability to handle complex cases can be strengthened by additional clinical training. Now, I will add one caveat to that. There is a field of preventive medicine called lifestyle medicine, um, and that's entirely focused on clinical care. And in my, um, and I'm a board certified lifestyle medicine practitioner. So that's a scenario where you could do a shortened, you know, one year transitional two year preventive and, and practice lifestyle medicine. That would be, uh, you know, that would be a viable path. Um, so I think if you're somebody who sees yourself working in health policy, you see yourself working at a local state or federal county um, office, or you see yourself kind of doing these more big picture activities, outbreak investigations, things like that, working at the CDC, then I think that your traditional one-year uh, transitional and two years preventive makes more sense. So basically, if if you have any chance that you want to practice a lot of clinical medicine and it's not lifestyle medicine, let's say you want to do hospital medicine or, or whatnot, then I would recommend doing preventive medicine as a fellowship. Okay. How competitive is preventive medicine to get into? You know, I think preventive medicine, like many primary care specialties, even though there is some debate in preventive medicine, whether we're considered primary care or not, but I'll lump it in for now to say it, it, it depends on location. So there are there are reputable there are very competitive programs um, that are you know hard to get into. You really have to have a background in public health or have some interest or or demonstrate some type of uh, vision and mission for your work in preventive medicine. And there are other programs which are um, you know not as competitive. And it just kind of depends on the ge geographic locale, sort of what the, the sort of the prestige of the institution. So obviously CDC's program being sort of the um, archetype of prevention. So they're, they would probably be one of the more competitive programs, Emory's uh, partnership with them, Johns Hopkins. So it's, it's kind of the familiar players that tend to be more competitive. We are a small field. So um, the program directors like myself, we tend to know every year who the top candidates are as a, as a group, because there's uh, obviously it's a, it's a smaller field and it, each year the pool is getting bigger and bigger. So I think the competitiveness of the field is, is increasing. What should a student be doing to get on your radar as a competitive student? Oh, I think definitely having some type of commitment, um, experience, it doesn't have to be extensive, but having some sort of demonstration of commitment to public health. And that could be you know, it could be for our program, we have a very strong emphasis on underserved medicine and health equity. So obviously somebody who's done work in underserved populations, someone who's knowledgeable about the topics of community engagement, participatory research, um, you know, someone who's shown aptitude in biostatistics, epidemiology, either through coursework or work in medical school, has had some research experience. Research is a big cornerstone of what we do in preventive medicine. So that's another aspect I would think adds uh, competitiveness. But I, I honestly think the interview for us is, is key because that's where you can really tell if somebody understands the field and, um, you know, really has a cogent um, vision for their practice in prevention. And I think that's often what distinguishes the competitive candidates from the lesser sort of the, the less competitive candidates. When, when a, a student or a physician at the, at this point is done with their prev med training, are there further opportunities to subspecialize? 
Yes, actually, there are. So preventive medicine, oh, there's general preventive medicine, um, there's occupational medicine, there's environmental medicine, there's even aerospace medicine, addiction medicine, and lifestyle medicine. People will go in for the occupational, um, to some extent, the environmental, uh, definitely aerospace, those are separate from gen general preventive medicine. And a resident would typically complete those independently. Um, and they don't have to do a general preventive medicine first to do those. So that's an important distinction. For addiction medicine and lifestyle medicine, um, many times GPM can be, GPM general preventive medicine can be a stepping stone to those. But preventive medicine is interesting because a lot of times they will take equivalent experience to be able to certify in some of these added specialties. And so there's no, I guess what I'm saying is you don't necessarily have to do general preventive medicine first for many of these types of disciplines. I will say that lifestyle medicine and to some extent addiction medicine lends itself well uh, to the general preventive medicine track. If one is interested in environmental medicine, which is um, you know, toxicology, exposures, pesticides and workers, um, you know, plastics in the environment, that kind of thing. I have several colleagues who have completed a general preventive medicine residency and then gone on to do an environmental health fellowship. Um, and I've had others who've done an environmental medicine sort of residency program. So the paths are sort of not that linear. And if there's a specific interest, um, there's likely um, different pathways to get to that to that outcome. What do you wish the the primary care, you, you mentioned PrevMed isn't really considered, or there's an argument of if it's primary care or not, but for the, the internist, the family practice doc, the pediatricians, what do you wish they knew about what you're doing day in and day out to better help their patients? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, one of the things that bothers me tremendously, especially in, in my hat as a director of student wellness is the rising rates of physician burnout, physician substance abuse, um, physician suicides. Obviously, we have this problem not just with physicians. We have the opioid epidemic. I think increasingly primary care physicians are burned out because they feel like they can't really help their patients to the extent that they want to. And it's a difficult situation because the system of medicine, the way that we're practicing, is part of the problem. And so that can really precipitate the cycle of burnout. I wish that primary care physicians knew about our work because I strongly believe, for example, with our lifestyle medicine practice, our whole goal is helping our patients adhere and comply with some of these evidence-based prescriptions for better health, diet, exercise, emotional wellness. And in that end, we're actually helping our primary care colleagues get to their the goal that they want, which is healthier patients. But the problem is been that we tend to work separately. Public health systems are often quite separate from clinical systems, and that makes it hard on both the public health and the primary care physician. So if we had knowledge and information exchange between our respective entities, I really believe we could have a healthier physician workforce. And I, I know it's interesting because you asked about patients, helping the patients, but I think we also have to be concerned about helping our, our physicians as well. So I think if people understood, if they knew that this field of preventive medicine and lifestyle medicine existed and we had opportunities for collaboration, I think you would see dramatic changes in sort of the rate of chronic disease in our country, the epidemics of opioid addiction and physician burnout. And 
we'd overall just be um, a lot healthier. I mean, you think about it, lifestyle is responsible for 80% of disease. Um, so it's, it's a quite staggering figure. It even outweighs genetics, um, you know, and, and so that's kind of a, a, a longer story. But the bottom line is, you know, we all know that this stuff works. We just need to set up the communication channels and, and realize that each other exists and, and, and learn how to sort of collaborate for, for better health for all. Yeah. What other specialties do you work with the most? I actually work, it's funny, preventive medicine, we're sort of the, we can um, integrate very well with, I, I will wager every single specialty, including surgery, including the non-primary care. Right here at UTRGV, um, we have partnerships and we've done projects and we're continuing ongoing work with the Department of Pediatrics, Department of Internal Medicine, Obstetrics and Gynecology, um, and family medicine. So we actually do um, pretty um, meaningful work with each of these departments. Um, we work with childhood obesity. We work with child abuse. We work on healthy pregnancy and postpartum care and in connecting women to contraception and pr promoting women's health, women's rights, and um, uh, ensuring a healthy and safe pregnancy. So there's a variety of programs and specialties that we work with. And that doesn't even begin to include our community partners. I think we, we've talked a lot about this already, but maybe just boiled down into a few, uh, a few key things. But I, I, with preventive medicine, there are huge opportunities outside of clinical medicine. But what do you think are the, the most common ones? The major one is certainly thinking about a pure public health career. Um, you know, I know you have some experience in this, but many of our public health workforce are part of the, um, the U.S. Public Health Service Corps, I believe is, a, is the mm -hmm. correct, correct term. And so these are physicians who will work on promoting the health of our military, our Air Force, um, our base or best flight surgeons. That's a very, uh, and that is, clinical medicine. So it doesn't, it's not fully answering your question, but I just wanted to emphasize that that is a very common and traditional path to go there and sort of, um, um provide service to our, our armed forces mm. in terms of not completely non-clinical. That would be the, the sort of, um, areas that I had mentioned with working at state, local or County public health departments. Your title is usually, um, regional director, local public health officer, state public health officer, um, county official. And in that role, and those can be extremely rewarding, very sort of um, um, eye-opening roles for a new graduate. Because, and a lot of times, many of the openings, there is, my program director in preventive medicine was a former public health uh, director in New York. So he worked at the New York Public Health Department, learned so much there. I mean, it, he got like a great education in disease management, surveillance. But many times, a lot of the job openings can also be in more small rural communities sort of scattered across the nation. And in my view, being a public health officer or regional director in these areas, you really can have the ability to shape the health of your community. It's, it's quite rewarding because your decisions, your understanding, the research that you do, the initiatives that you sort of recommend 
those can actually transform health. And, and um, you know, I, I have several colleagues who are doing work at um, L.A. Department of Public Health, which is where I, I, I was in L.A. before I came down here, um, working in HIV prevention, um, uh, upholding the health of the homeless population. And so it's it's really neat to be on the other side of shaping health policy and influencing um, health from that that aspect. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into preventive medicine? Oh, well, to be honest with you, I, I wish, and I know it now, and I think I might've perceived it then, but I wish someone would have told me that change, you know, change comes slowly (laughs) and it doesn't mean that it's like your initiative is wrong (laughs) or is not working, but patience is the most important thing as a preventive medicine physician. I mean, it took, it took two decades for smoking, which was once regarded as more than two decades, actually, for smoking. Smoking was once regarded as healthy and doctors recommended it. Right. And it, it took decades for that needle to shift. And now are we primarily understand smoking as a harmful um, habit that can create lots of disease. So the needle moves slowly, but it does. I mean, the evidence always sort of will come out in the end. I mean, I know I say this and I still think of all these areas where I don't feel like it is working, but but I think that's the number one thing that I wish that I had known that it doesn't mean that you're not having impact. Like it it comes slowly, but and and I think the other thing that I would have told myself, I came into preventive medicine wanting to sort of do this upstream medicine, change systems, um you know, help impact entire populations. But I, I think I would have just reinforced with myself, it doesn't discount the fact that even if you can just help one patient and understand the message for one patient, that's still, you know, that's still an achievement. And it it's not always the population impact that makes the most difference. So that's kind of what I would have, little advice I would have told myself uh, earlier, because I think that. Um, I'm, I'm seeing that now and I understand that now. And I think that's good for any future preventive medicine physician to understand. So because you brought it up, I, I want to take a little tangent. You mentioned cigarette smoking and how we finally came to realize as a culture that it's really bad for us. Um, yeah. Sugar seems to be the next thing that is uh, being taken aim at. Do you do you think we'll get to a point where sugar is, is regulated and taxed like uh, cigarettes are? That's a great question. I I am an optimist, so I say yes, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I think, um, you know, it, it, it's a cultural shift that needs to happen. And the problem, prob- sugar and cigarettes, like you point out, they have a lot of similarities. Sugar has been pointed out to have some addictive properties. Tobacco is highly addictive. Um, you know, both of them have been clearly linked to, um, to illness, chronic disease, um, you know, sort of poor quality of life. And so there's a lot, I I think that we as a culture still have a long ways to go before we get to that outcome. And, and, and it's, and I can't predict how long, but I do believe that as the evidence continues to mount, I mean, our nation is becoming increasingly unhealthy. Um, Weight and food are driving a lot of our illness. I mean, there's even evidence now sort of suggesting that sugar, ADHD, autism, preservatives, all these types of things are all kind of linked. And I think as evidence comes out, we um, will start to see a shift. Uh, I, I think it's going to take some time, but that's that's my hope because I, I think that would be a great public health move. 
What do you like the most about being a preventive medicine physician? Oh, I love how multifaceted it is. I never feel like I'm doing the same thing. And it's like the sort of nerdy researcher in me gets really excited about the constant learning. I learn all the time. I mean, every facet of life is really public health. And so, you know, it's sort of neat to see these connections as I look over the research. To, like, I remember the first time I found out that early childhood education, like preschool, Head Start, not, doesn't just have an ability to help kids stay in school and, and sort of graduate and have jobs, but over the lifespan, children who receive that type of hands-on sort of education, attention, they tend to have less chronic disease. And so it's it's really cool to see how these different dimensions of society affect health. And I, I'm really, I feel really um, lucky and fulfilled to be able to work on this, in my view, fundamental problem of health equity in our nation. And it's tied to our um, income inequality uh, um, issues as well. And while I'm not an economist and I'm not a lawyer and I'm certainly you know, not involved in formulating national policy, I feel like I'm doing my part to help sort of address these disparities in our country by doing what I'm doing. And so that, that part is, is definitely, um, definitely one of my favorites as well. What do you like the least? Oh, well, that's easy. I feel like we suffer from a lack of name recognition and we're constantly having to sort of explain ourselves and what we do and our value to society, which is obviously, it's, it's pretty interesting given that everyone, any politician can agree that prevention is important and is needed. And yet people kind of have blank faces when they think of the fact that, oh, there's a preventive medicine physician. What do they do? And so I, I definitely think that's an issue. And I, I dislike the fact that while like I said, everyone agrees and has and agrees on the rationale for preventive medicine. There is little sort of um, skin in the game. Many many um, entities, many stakeholders, funders. I mean, we're just not on that same level, and so we really have to be pretty scrappy in terms of standing up for ourselves and and finding our sources of funding and and sort of spreading the mission of preventive medicine. We we really, I mean, I, I will say I, I belong to the program directors a committee uh, at the ACPM, American College of Preventive Medicine, and it is an amazing group. I mean, these are really dedicated, passionate physicians, and um, I have not seen a lot of practicing physicians who you know practice for 30 40 years who truly love what they do and I think in preventive medicine you tend to see that but we're all in agreement that we need more name recognition we need more sort of um you know pathways from funders to have sustainability pathways to have our sort of work promoted in medical schools I mean there's a lot of different angles that make us um sort of have to fight for ourselves if you know what I mean <laughs> Do you see any major changes coming to the field? Um, yes, actually, I do, because our healthcare is constantly in the news. Um, you know, we we have for decades now uh, understood that our healthcare system is unsustainable. We're seeing costs spiral out of control. We're seeing subpar, uh, subpar quality outcomes. You know, our infant mortality uh, rankings as in the United States are on par with. Uh, developing countries, you know, we're, we're kind of number 38, I think is what I remember, um, sort of on par with Macedonia, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're spending like 
so much more money. You look at those graphs of the spending per capita and uh, lifespan or quality of life, and you will see the United States is just way off the charts. Like we're spending so much money and we have so little to show for it in terms of our population health outcomes. So, you know, we have all heard the projections. Medicare is going to go bankrupt. This is going to happen. You know, U.S. healthcare spending is like going to be a third of GDP. It's, it's getting up there. Something has to change. So I really, really see preventive medicine as one of the beacons of that change. It, we have the skills to address those um, issues. We know all about health systems. We know about all the models, accountable care systems and different models that can save money. Um, you know, I increasingly have already seen it happening that we're being heralded as experts in the area of healthcare reform, health policy reform. And I, I can only see our value and strength increasing as the years go on. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a preventive medicine physician? Absolutely. I would definitely do it. I mean, I, I like the path that I chose and I'm proud to be a preventive medicine physician. I feel like I'm a proud minority sort of standing up for, for heart field. But yeah, I love I love it. And I would it really brings joy to my day to be um, doing this kind of work. So um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely do it again. Any last words of wisdom for the pre-med or the med student listening to this or maybe even a, a resident listening to this thinking, ooh, that preventive medicine. I've never heard of that before, but now I want to look into it more. What what should those students be doing? Oh, well, you know, I would encourage them. Uh, and, you know, this is a little plug, but I would encourage them to look at our website. I mean, we have a lot of resources listed there uh, about preventive medicine, about the ideas of community engagement, health equity, if that's a particular interest. If you're just generally interested in preventive medicine, definitely, definitely, definitely check out the American College of Preventive Medicine website. They have a medical student section, they have mentorship programs where they'll match you with a practicing physician. Um, you know, they have a lot of resources, information on what is preventive medicine. So I, I you know, that would be a great um, resource as well. I, I would encourage you to think if you're interested in preventive medicine, uh, I'll, I'll just add also, you don't have to do it right out of medical school. Like you can if you have a passion for a primary care field, you can always do the path that I mentioned, look to a combined program. Preventive medicine, I think, is superior to just an MPH because you really get to do a lot of rotations and applied public health. So if you do just if you're interested and you want to get the MPH, that's fine. But I really believe that the preventive medicine, first of all, they fund your MPH and they pay you a salary. So that's pretty um, attractive right there. Many programs will. And secondly, you have the benefit of then doing rotations with the county departments to learn how you would apply those skills. So, you know, I, I would just encourage you to think through sort of your timeline, what your goals are in preventive medicine, and to realize that even if you feel you decide that you don't want to quite do it right out of medical school, the pathway is always waiting. There's several experienced um, sort of residents who are joining preventive medicine fellowships and, um, you know, I... I I never think it's it's too late. So, <laughs> all right, there you have it again, Doctor Jenani Krishnaswamy talking about preventive medicine, something that I was super interested in while I was in the Air Force as a flight surgeon. She mentioned aerospace medicine. That's what uh, being a flight surgeon is: is an aerospace medicine physician. So, as my role as a flight surgeon, it was a lot of preventive medicine, a lot of occupational medicine. So I like the field. I, I understand it. I understand its impact on the world. It's a really cool 
job. If that's something maybe you've never thought about before, but maybe you want to go be one of those cool agents that's investigating Ebola and all these outbreaks at the CDC, maybe preventive medicine is something that will interest you. Go check out all the stuff, all the resources that Jenny mentioned. I hope you have a great day, a great week, and we'll catch you next time here on Specialty Stories. Thank you.